The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live on the Autism Network. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm ridiculously happy to be here with you this morning uh, because for the first time we have this guest on. Be ready, you guys. Uh, Dr. Mary Lynch uh, Barbera. And I'm hoping I'm saying her name right because I've been a fan of hers for a while and uh, I'm just going to admit that I I wanted to be her when I grew up. I chose a different path, but ooh, this lady. Uh, and she's got some real help for you guys right now. Uh, and this is her most recent book, Turn Autism Around. We're going to talk about this and her podcast, which has the same name and why you should be tuning into that, but also some online courses that she's offering right now that um, are really incredible. So thrilled to have her, but I'm also thrilled to be here with you guys um, and grateful. Can I just say that? I'm just grateful to be here with you guys. The chat is open now and you guys can be writing in on most of the platforms. You can write in directly and it shows up right in my chat. That isn't true of all of them, but we're live right now. By the way, today is what day of the week is it? It's Wednesday. I had to think. It's the uh, 22nd of June. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've lost track of what day of the week, what month we're in. I don't really have a concept, but my calendar says it's the 22nd of June. And uh, are you guys all a little like, when is the 4th of July? Like, is everybody having that moment? Like June has just felt like uh, a giant Cuisinart uh, to me. <clears throat> But we're live right now. It is Wednesday. It is the 22nd of June. I've checked. And we're thrilled to be coming to you live this entire hour. You know, our mission here is to provide information and inspiration. That's the bottom line. And if we can do that in any small way to help you on your journey, then that makes me delighted. And you know, when I say you, I I mean you and whoever you are and however you identify, you might be the person who's on the spectrum yourself. And if you are, please know that there is a home and a place here for you that uh, we're so thrilled. We want to hear your voice. We want to hear what's important to you. And I hope you're checking out our show uh, that plays on Fridays now called Stories from the Spectrum that is content solely created by and for people who are neurodiverse. And uh, so, and I know there's a whole big discussion right now about is the word neurodiverse or neurodivergent. And we can talk about that another time because I want to hear from you. I'm hearing from my son, what he has to say about it, but I know that his opinion is one opinion and I want to hear from you guys, uh, what you guys feel about it. But um, I, you know, take my direction directly from him because he's my reason for being in this community. And so not only do we welcome people who are on the spectrum, but we welcome the people who love them. I'm one of those people. We want to be allies, right, to the people that we love. We want to be able to be of support to be a part of the conversation in that we're supporting them, right? We're not trying to hijack the conversation. I know that sometimes that's confusing because sometimes I'm just going to own up to it myself. As a parent, for so many years, I fought so hard for my son that he had to be the one to say to me, let me speak for myself now. And I had to go, whoa, yes, please. That's what we fought for, right? Um, So please, 
don't mistake. Sometimes as parents, we come in hot, right? But the reason why is because we want to be allies. We're always students in the classroom learning from those of you that we love. Uh, so please keep teaching me, keep teaching your parents, keep teaching other parents so that we can be of support. That's really all we want to be. That's really the bottom line, right? And uh, so we welcome everyone. If you're a parent, if you are a significant other, if you're somebody who loves people on the spectrum or loves one person on the spectrum, there is a seat at our table for you. So come on down, bring what you have, take what is useful to you, leave anything that isn't, tell us what's useful. And we like to provide shows that help you to get where you're trying to get. And this isn't a one size fits all community, right? So come as you are. And find what you can find here and be a part of the conversation. You can be writing in right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter. It shows up immediately in our chat. The chat is open right now. You know that I love to hear from you guys to know where you're watching from. That's super fun for me and to see who's watching. So please, and get your get your questions ready for uh, for our guests today. Because amazing right? Thrilled to have you here. And you know that I always like to tell you we have many experts on the show and our expert today, I mean, uh, from all sides of it, as a parent, as a professional, as someone who has been working in this field, helping all kinds of people, expertise, yes, uh, tick that box for her, right? But I do not even pretend to be an expert. I pretend to be the person who is your cheerleader that wants to help you to get to the resource that will help you to get where you need to get. But I am not a mind reader. I always say I gave up mind reading to be a parent to an individual who was diagnosed with autism. So don't make me guess. Tell me what it is that you're looking for, what you need. And sometimes you just need somebody to hear you. Sometimes you just need somebody to see you, right? And I'm telling you, we see you, we want to hear you, but you have to speak up so that we can hear all of you. Yeah. But don't mistake me for an expert. That's, that's not my gig here. Uh, I'm the, I'm the switchboard operator of old time. I want to connect you to things that might be able to help you. That's my gig. All right. Uh, we always like to start the show on Wednesdays with something that we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani nani are those experts talking about? Why did they have to use such difficult words? Can't they explain it to us in a way that we could understand? And why do we even have to have this word? If it's not useful to me today, then it's not useful to me at all, right? So first we give you the actual definition. And whenever possible, we make fun of the actual definition and how useless it is. Then we give you a working definition. I always try to put it into context for you so that you can see, is it something that will help me today? So... Today's term, and I'm, I guess we've never done this term before, um, although it's, it was one of the first words that I like to make fun of after my son was diagnosed with autism, because when people would say this, I would say, what planet are you on? Nobody uses this word in common conversation. And guess what? Now I do. Perseveration. All right. So let's take a look at our actual definition and see what the actual definition definition for, for perseveration, I can't even say it, perseveration. Repeat or prolong an action, thought, or utterance after the stimulus that prompted it has ceased. Okay. 
Well, let's say this. This isn't the worst definition that we've ever had, right? But if you are somebody who is dealing with perseveration at home because you are perseverating or someone you love is perseverating on something, you probably don't even know the term to look it up. But if you did hear the term and somebody said perseveration and you looked this up, you would go, who in the hey, nani nani wrote this and how is this of any use to me, right? But I think you'll see after we talk about the working definition, why this definition is actually potentially down the road useful to you. Okay, so let's move on to our working definition, see if we can't break this thing down a little bit so that we can bite-size chew it, right? It's Perseveration is when you, when someone gets stuck on something and it's not being able to get unstuck. So a lot of times, first of all, let me say this. I think we all perseverate or have bouts of perseveration about something. I can point to any friend that I have and tell you a time when they were perseverating on something. I, I, I'm not going to name names here, but I'm going to talk about my really good friend who was dating a guy and the guy broke up with her and he ghosted her. And let me just say, she perseverated on the why. And anytime we were any place with this young woman, you know, you, you'd go out and you'd be out and, and then it, 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 you would set the clock, right? Set your timer. And at a certain point she would say, why do you think? And, and we would have to all weigh in on it. And it, it became a thing. Now you expect that when somebody breaks up with somebody in the beginning, but then there's a phase and they're supposed to move through it. But then sometimes they don't, right? And we're talking, it was a year later. And anytime we would go someplace and she would say, why do you think he ghosted me? What do you think happened? And and anytime she would start it, everybody would go, I can't, I can't, I can't hear it one more time. I got to be someplace else across the room. Because uh, I, I can't, I can't hear it one more time, Shannon, right? Because she was perseverating on it. The time for it had passed. Our definition before about, you know, even when the stimulus isn't there, he wasn't there. Nobody was talking about him. He wasn't a part of her life. A significant period of time had changed. And yet she still wanted to talk about it, right? That's perseveration. And she couldn't, let's be clear about this. It wasn't a choice. It wasn't something that she just could go, I'm not going to think about him anymore right? She ended up having to get professional help to stop thinking about this guy. And, and I think this is all going to come together for you in a second, but I, I think that that's an important part of it to realize that when someone is perseverating on something, it's not a choice. They are literally, it's like, I, all my references are old today because <laughs> I'm an old person, but when we, well, now they're back, the vinyl records, and you would put the needle on the record and then, and then the record is supposed to play so that the needle eventually gets to the middle of the record. But sometimes the needle would get stuck in a groove and it wouldn't get unstuck and it would just play the same four seconds over and over again, right? And when we were younger, you know, we'd bump the thing and then the needle would go, Rip! and it would, it would get out of the groove and go someplace else, right? And that's really what we're talking about here is, is people who are stuck in a groove where there is something and it is not a choice. Now, some people can, are stuck in a groove and the groove is four seconds and then they can move on as long as they've done the thing that they have to do, that those repetitive and ritualistic behaviors, right? But there are times when there's something where people get stuck in a thought pattern and they cannot get themselves out. And it's not four seconds. It could be 
four hours, it could be four days, it could be four months, four years, right? Um, and we see this all the time with our kids. And you guys write in about this and you say, oh, you know, my kid will do this thing and they just do it over. Like all they want to talk about is trains or, or they will ask the same question 42 times. Right. And there are two sides to the perseveration thing, right? There's the person who is having the perseveration. And since we've already identified that pretty much all of us have had something where that we perseverated on, where we just could not get our thought pattern out of that thing, um, then we can appreciate how difficult it is when your brain is stuck on that thing and you can't snap out of it, right? You're just not capable of snapping out of it. So there's the person who's stuck, right? And then there are the people who are around them and they are having emotions and feelings about that perseveration. Because as I said about my friend, you know, her friends, the rest of our friends were like, I can't, I can't handle it. And, and there are times when, you love the person who's on the spectrum, but the perseveration for you becomes something that is emotional. And, and, and I would go so far as to say that it has the ability to, to bring upon panic, uh, feelings of desperation. Like, is my whole life going to be this right? And you get stuck in that thinking of like, Oh my gosh, is this all we're ever going to be? And now you're in a loop and we're both going like this. Right. So I think the perseveration is something that we really, um, have to talk about. And Lori said, does this include repetitive asking or answering questions? Yeah. I mean, if, if somebody is constantly on that thing and it could be that they're asking a question about it for sure. Um, Jacob says, sounds almost like being fixated to me. Sure, absolutely. And and here's the thing that's hard, though, is that sometimes uh, when people are perseverating on something, it's because there's a true passion for that thing. And there are people who will confuse passion for something and perseveration. And for me, the difference is that it's a choice. When there's something that you really like and you're gravitating towards it and you want to do this. I took a, a, a seminar once from a guy who has written more TV scripts than anybody on the planet. And he talked about when he was a kid, I mean, three, four years old, he, his parents would go to bed and he would wait until he would set his alarm so that, cause he would know that they were in bed and he would get up and sneak downstairs and watch television because that's all he wanted was to watch television. Now that's a passion. And then he grew up and went into television and, and that's a great thing. And he was very successful because he was driven and he, you know, I would say Jacob, that he was fixated on television, but the reason why we're not necessarily calling it a perseveration was he was able to say, I'm not able to watch it right now because my parents are still awake. So I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to be clever. I'm going to set my timer and then I'm going to get up and be able to do it then. So for me, that delineates when you're perseverating on something, you're at the point where it is not a choice and you cannot get yourself out of it. And I think we want to be respectful of the fact that there are many things that our, our loved ones that are on the spectrum will fixate on, that they will be passionate about, and we want to be compassionate and have empathy about that and steer that towards something that is a passion and a preference, and we want to be mindful when they're perseverating not to diss that 
thing, not to pull that thing away from them, but to find other interests for them and to find keys, ways that we can sort of bump that needle and get them to get out of the loop to teach them that you can be passionate about this. You can fixate on it. You can be somebody who's like all about this thing and go into it as a career, but you can find a way to have downtime and you can find a way to like connect with other people and find other things that you enjoy. And sometimes that requires professional help to be able to do that. But uh, we're going to get there. So let's go ahead and we'll go on to our question of the day, which has to do with all of this. And uh, but thank you, Laurie and Jacob, for writing in. The chat is open, you guys. And uh, so our question today is, what do you perseverate on? Now, I remember um, being in a, uh, a classroom where I was uh, learning about autism and how to deal with certain things. And the person who was teaching the class was, um, they had candy and they were giving candy for right answers. These were all adults in the classroom, right? And then at a certain point, you know, so we, we'd done around and everybody got a piece of candy. So now everybody's sucking on the candy. Everybody's happy. Right. And she started asking questions without the candy and nobody could get it together. Nobody was raising their hand. Nobody was doing anything. And, and she noticed that everybody was sort of just watching the bag of candy. And she said, oh, you're all perseverating on the candy now, aren't you? And, and I remember thinking, who is this woman who uses that word in a sentence? This is crazy to me, right? Um, and I thought, nobody uses that in a sentence. And now I use it all the time because once you understand what it is, you will find yourself using this term. And once you start understanding what it is, you'll start to notice when you're perseverating on something. And you will start to like look at it and go, oh, like I'm in a little bit of a, a loop of this. And you'll start to notice what helps you to get out of it because you might be someone who has to get up and move to be able to break that, that thought. And sometimes that's a very effective thing. Or you, listen, I know people who have perseveration issues that they'll say, I'm going to go brush my teeth. And I remember asking one of them, I was like, what's the deal with that? And they're like, oh, well, that's what gets me out of that. I brush my teeth and it's a sensory thing and I'm no longer in that thought pattern. And I I just moved my body and brushed my teeth and it's good for me. Uh, you can't overbrush your teeth. I mean, I guess you could overbrush your teeth, but it takes a lot. Um, and now I've introduced a new thought pattern. Uh, so first of all, let's start with what do you guys perseverate on? You can be writing in right now. We're, we're live all over the place, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and let us know what you perseverate on. It might be something you'd rather not speak of. So, uh, but I think sometimes it helps other people to see what other people perseverate on. I can very easily, if I say, and listen, I do this every day, twice a day, if not more, where I will say something that later on I wished I hadn't said. And I will go back and play it through and sometimes get stuck in it. Because what, what I'll do is I'll play it and I'll go, oh, I wished I'd said this, right? Or I wished I'd said that. But sometimes I can't think of what was the perfect thing to say. And I'll just replay it over and over and over again. And when I was younger, I could easily get stuck there. And now I know I have to, I, for me, I got to move my body and physically uh, go someplace else because um I can get stuck there and then I try to go to bed at night and the thought is there and I, and I cannot, you know, get it out of my head. Right. And then I have to get up and do something else different uh, physically 
to be able to shake it. For me, that's the ticket. Um, for my son, it was entirely different things. I, I I would have to like create some big thing to, you know, if he was perseverating on something and stuck in, in whatever, I, I might have to be like, oh my gosh. And, and like, just have like a moment that where he was like, what? And that, but I would have to have something to be a payoff. I would go, oh, I just forgot we were supposed to, don't you remember? We were supposed to go to the bookstore today. Quick, put your shoes on. We've got to go to the bookstore right now. And sometimes that was enough to, where he'd be like, I, I, don't, I, I don't know why. Why are we going to the bookstore? Remember, we needed to get that book. We talked about it two days ago. We were going to go to the bookstore today to get the book that you needed. And, and he would get his shoes on and suddenly he would be thinking about other things and we would get him out of it, right? Different things for different people. But I love that we've already got a question that's come in for Dr. Uh, Barbara. Okay. So last thing before we bring her in our topic of the week, and this is an important one to me, very important that we always remember to leave room for empathy and compassion. In our scenario that we were talking about, and boy, this applies to everything, but in our scenario where one person is perseverating on something and the other person starts to have feelings and emotions about the perseveration, it is so important that we remember to have leave room for the empathy and the compassion of the fact that, first of all, for ourselves, I, I don't think you can give away something you don't have. And if you don't have empathy and compassion for yourself, how are you going to have it for the other person? So I think the first thing is to say, okay, I am feeling frustrated and tired because, and name it, I'm worried that this is all we're ever going to have is this perseveration. And then once you have that thought, you can say to yourself, well, that's a rational fear to have because in this moment, it feels like that. However, you know, I've seen him or her perseverate before and we've gotten out of it before. So don't really think there's, I don't think that that's the case, right? And you just talk yourself right out of it. But that's having empathy, saying you're entitled to your feelings, but let's be realistic about it. Is your fear really something that's entirely possible? And if it is, acknowledging it and having compassion and saying to yourself, you are entitled to your feelings about what is happening right now, right? And then when you have that feeling of empathy and compassion for yourself that you're okay, that it is okay to feel what you're feeling, then turn that on the person that you're in the room with and say, you know, this is a person that I love. This is a person who's struggling in this moment. This is a person who needs my love and acceptance and, and my assistance maybe even. And this is not a choice for them. They are not doing this to me. This is not about me. And I want to be there for them. And then you can start to go through your checklist of what can I do to help. Um, I see that many of you are writing in, somebody says, I, I, uh, perseverate on a million tiny repetitions that occur several reasons, but one would be fear over moving forward with my passions. I think that let's start with the compassion and empathy right there. I I don't know a single person who does not have fear when talking about moving forward with something that they care deeply about. If you're passionate about it, I think that that's a normal reaction to have fear. So have some compassion and empathy for yourself that it's okay to have the fear. I look at every person doing everything that's out there. You don't think that Walt Disney was terrified when he was putting his entire existence on the line to build a theme park around a mouse. I think he was in terrible fear, but he moved through the fear. So we accept that the fear is there and, and go, that's a rational thing. You're okay to have the fear. But when the fear is stopping you, 
then you want to look to who can help me. Can I help myself? Is there somebody else who can help me to move through that? Um, and Jacob says some people don't understand unless they have dealt with it themselves. And I think that that's very true, Jacob. But I think that where empathy is, empathy says that I don't have to know exactly what it's like for you to feel compassion for you and to support you. I may not understand it fully, but I'm saying I'm going to be here with you. I'm going to still love on you and I'm, I'm going to be here and I'm going to be looking at, is there a way that I can help you? And I can have empathy without fully having lived and gone through what you go through. So I don't think that as a parent of someone who identifies as being neurodiverse, I'm, I have now accepted at this point in the game that I'm never fully going to understand what it's like to be him, be in his skin and think like he does. I'm never going to fully understand it, even though it's my biggest hope and dream. Like those movies, Freaky Friday, if somebody could put a spell on me and I could trade places with him for even two hours where I could feel what he feels, see what he, oh man, what would I not give, right? But that's the stuff that movies are made of. I've accepted that I'm not going to get that and that what I need to do is listen with all of my senses to what he tells me with all of my senses, not just vocally what he tells me and try to show up for him and do my best and be compassionate when I don't to myself when I don't get it right. Right. Um, yeah, and, and Crooked Tail says a uh, very complex but important distinction. Uh, Shannon says, two of my friends finally coming together, Shannon and Mary Barbera. Well, let's bring her in here because I'll bet she has a lot to say about a lot of this and she's the expert. So our guest this morning, oh my gosh, the the things, I I, I got to read a little bit from her bio because there's, there's so much here and I'm going to. I'm going to make her have to tell part of this, but she describes herself as someone who fell into autism. I love that description um, because like a lot of us that are watching, she is a parent and I will let her identify how she wants to identify that. Uh, but, but she, did, Mary, you did the things that a lot of us were told to do, and perhaps, you know, I'm going to own this for myself, didn't do. You went and studied and you became a BCBA, got your PhD. She's Dr. Mary Barbara, uh, Barbara, but it's Barbara, isn't it? It is Barbara. Thank you, Shannon. Thank um, you for having me on. Uh, but and and this is the current book, Turn Autism Around. There is a podcast of the same name, but it's it's the second book, and you've got a series of online uh, learning modules that are for everyone. You're amazing. We're oh, all in awe of you. I don't know how you did all of it. You're going to have to tell all of us. But let's yeah. start with how do you identify yourselves in the parent category. Right. So I fell into the whole autism world in the late 1990s. Um, my son, Lucas, started showing signs of autism around, you know, 15, 18 months in hindsight. My husband, who's a physician, first mentioned the possibility that Lucas might have autism when he was 21 months of age. I remember where I was standing. I had never thought of that. I'd never heard of that. I, I've heard of autism at that point, but I'd never thought that my toddler might have it. And I told him that Lucas had some language. He was warm and cuddly with, cuddly with us and that he didn't have autism. And I never, ever wanted to hear that word again. And that was back in 1998. 
my second son, Spencer, was two months of age. And um, so he didn't bring it up. It was kind of the elephant in the room for the next 15 months of, of my serious denial that there was anything wrong. But in my defense, it was the late 1990s. The internet was just coming to be. Um, there, he was a little confusing because he went to typical preschool when he was two, never had any stereotypical behavior, you know, just, um, he had some language. I didn't know. I had a master's degree in nursing administration. Um, so I was very much in the medical field, but I always, always in the neuro field and rehab. So I had worked with multidisciplinary teams and goals and self-help and toilet training and getting people to speak again after brain tumors. And, you know, so that all came very naturally and also managing people, hiring, firing, (laughs) managing schedules. So I was kind of set up to be in a good place at the right time. Once I finally got myself out of denial and Lucas was finally diagnosed the day before his third birthday. So from 21 months, and then he wasn't, he didn't receive um, ABA treatment until 39 months of age. So it was a long time. Um, And so that's, and now Lucas will be 26, um, July 3rd, and um, he still remains with moderate autism and mild intellectual disability. He has, you know, he has the speech and language of a toddler still, but he is, um, you know, fully toilet trained, dresses himself, showers himself. We had to teach him everyone, you know, ties his shoes, but everything was like taught him. He does need um, supervision and it will need it his whole life. So there also was involved a lot of advocacy. So I was an RN And then I started ABA treatment. I didn't know what it was, but then I became a board certified behavior analyst. Um, You make that sound like it was just, you know, Tuesday and then Wednesday. That that had to have been hard. That had to have been hard while your kid was getting treatment. Yeah. I want to know more about when did you make the decision since I'm going to need to know a lot about this. I might as well have letters that say that I know about this. What was that decision? And how did you do it? How did you find the hours, Mary? Um, well, right away, I I kind of was like, wait, nobody knows what they're doing. This is so frightening. Like my consultant would come and she'd tell us what to do. And she would have me get a babysitter for Spencer and do quote unquote, do therapy, you know, every for five hours a week. And so then I, I got really good at it. And then I was like the lead therapist because I was a nurse manager. So, you know, I was recruiting, retaining, you know, graphing. I don't think we really graphed, but taking data. And then when she'd leave and then I'd have like 12 hours of work to do to prepare these programs and everything. My husband's like, why are we paying her money? And you're like dying here. And then, you know, when it was time to potty train, you know, like I'd learn and then after about a year, it was like, wow, nobody really knows what they're doing here. This is scary. And I had founded the Autism Society in my ca- my county pretty quickly, too. And I got into due process, which is educational court um, against the three to five agency. Because I was just like, I wasn't trying to. I was just like, <laughs> what? 
Like if you have a child with leukemia, you know, you call the doctor, they arrange for chemotherapy, they arrange for a social worker that, you know, it was like, I was given like a couple numbers and like, good luck. It's like, oh my God, really? This is it? <laughs> and then it was like back then, you know, ABA was and still is the most proven treatment for, for autism. And I know it, it's got its share of controversy and all of that, but um, you know, okay. How is that? Who pays for that? How, oh, oh, I have to get medical assistance for him. Well, I don't really know if I want medical assistance, you know, well, you have to, otherwise you don't get it. And then, you know, you could have door number one with this stuff and door, you know, and it's just like, really? <laughs> like, so Really, the only reason I became a board-certified behavior analyst is because I was testifying in my son's due process care. And most people don't actually go to due process. I went. Of course <laughs> you did. Of course you did, Mary. days over the course of a year. You know, it was just like, so I testified for five hours. At that point, I was just like going to conferences, learning. And at the end of it, my attorney, who had a son with autism, who was in his 30s, He's like, you should become a board certified behavior analyst. I'm like, huh? What's that? And he said, well, you need a master's degree. You already have that because I had to testify. So I, they were making me out to be an expert witness, even though I really had no, you know, ABA or autism credentials. And then, you know, at the time, luckily, it was through a distance learning program through Penn State, which is a couple hours from my house. And it just worked out like you could you didn't have to like not use your child for like, you didn't have to have like supervision and hours documented. You just need to find a mentor, uh, BCBA, who I was very fortunate to find, to attend a conference by Dr. Rick Cabina early on. And he became like a consultant for Lucas a little bit. And then he agreed to be my mentor and we went on to publish things together. And he's, he's just been a great guy. So a lot of this was like, I fell into the autism world. I fell into the world of behavior analysis. Then I wrote my first book, The Verbal Behavior Approach. I kind of fell into that too. It was just like, people were coming to me like, what should I do? And I'm like, I don't have 40 hours to tell you what to do, but I wouldn't recommend the books that led me here. So it was yeah. all in my head. So I had to write a book. There we go. And then and then I fell into the world of creating online courses and podcasts and video blogs. And now basically, and then writing my second book, Turn Autism Around, which you got a copy of, which I love. And um, there again, I didn't plan to write a second book. It was just like, there was so much that changed from my first book. And all along, I was trying to get to those parents of very little kids, like I was in denial or couldn't get services, you know, back when Lucas was diagnosed, it was one in 500. Now it's one in 44, you know, like there's, whether you're not in denial or not, there's a long yeah. wait between first signs and a diagnosis if you're going to get one. And what I've seen over the years is you can really make some serious turnarounds um, if you treat the symptoms, treat delays, treat speech delays, treat sensory processing issues. It doesn't matter if it's autism. And a lot of parents 
and grandparents and, and early intervention professionals can be empowered to learn the right child-friendly four-step turn autism around approach, which is based on all the ABA science, based on all the verbal behavior, based on my nursing background, my background as a parent, as an advocate to really help these kids move forward, whatever that means, you know, make progress. And, you know, cause I truly believe that if I would have had my book, my toddler online course back when Lucas was 21 months, when my husband first mentioned it, he would be in a very different situation. I, I truly believe that. I well, mean, I, yeah, but I would truly believe that. But I love that, Mary, because there's a lot of people who look back and go, oh, if only I'd known whenever, um, and they sit in that in grief. And what you did was turn it around and said, I'm going to make sure somebody else learns from it, which is remarkable and admirable. And this book is amazing. I, I just want everybody to see. So the, the subtitle is An Action Guide for Parents of Young Children with Early Signs of Autism. So I love that you're saying it doesn't have to be autism. You don't already have to have the diagnosis. But this, you could get this book and start today and have things to do today that would set you on a better path. And I love that the language in it is all so user-friendly because I think that that is one of the biggest travesties in this community is that as a parent, as you said, when you, when you get the diagnosis and, and still, even now, there's a little bit of a good luck. There's no like, you know, let's centralize your care and give you everything that you need and all the tools that doesn't happen, but you give it here in the book. And and you go to try to find it as a parent and you, and the language is so, I just want to scream at professionals when they use language with parents that the parents aren't going to find accessible. Right. And, and I'm just going to use this one page as an example, because this is a question that we get all the time when we're talking about reinforcement here on the show and people go, oh, well, you know, you're just bribing your kid into, into behavior. And I love, and Mary's got things like this scattered throughout the book, but there is an infograph here. I don't know which, no, this page, yeah. um, that it says bribery versus reinforcement. And it, and it lay, lays it out for you, the difference between the two in this wonderful infograph Honestly, like I would, I personally would buy a bunch of these books and I would have one of them just to read. And I'll tell you where I would put it. And you're going to think I'm weird. I would put it on the back tank of the toilet so that every time that you go in, you read a portion of it because sometimes your day is so full. Right. But I would get a second copy and I would tear this page out and I would paste it on the wall somewhere. I'm just, or, or you can copy it. We have copiers now. I forget that. You don't have to tear apart your book. But I would get another copy because at some point you're going to be in the grocery store and you're going to need, meet another parent and they're going to say, I don't know what to do. And you always want to be able to give them something. And this is a perfect book to give them. But anyway. And that, I, I don't know if that infographic, it might be in the free book resources. So if somebody's out there and they just want to oh. see what the book is, read chapter one, listen to chapter two get all the free assessments. It might have that infographic and it has all kinds of good free information. Turnautismaround.com will get you to um, give us your email address. We will send you for free all the book resources, including chapter one. So you can just spread that around, spread that link around. Everybody you know, hey, get this, read the first chapter. If you have a child yeah. with any kind of delays, differences, and we're not trying to make, you know, kids totally recover and make them into anything that they're not. We're, we're using the child's 
personality, their strengths, their needs. We're empowering parents to just go to the next level and um, get them help in any area they struggle. If they struggle with talking, tantrums, eating, sleeping, potty training, going to the doctor's dentist, haircuts without a fuss, it's all in there. There's a chapter for at least a chapter for each of those issues, a whole chapter on social and play, what to do if your child gets kicked out of preschool, um, just all kinds of things that we as parents of kids on the spectrum deal with. And, and the subtitle is an action guide for parents of young children with early signs of autism. But if you have, and I see a, a question here from an, you know, parent of an 18 year old, if you have a 10 year old or an 18 year old, or even my son who's turning 26, he still is struggling with advanced language, with problem behaviors, with, I mean, he's toilet trained, but you know, like there are issues that even if you have an older child, it's appropriate to, for, um, but I really wanted to kind of come down the mountain to round up all the worried parents of little kids. And that's who I talk to in the book, but you will learn a lot too. If your child, whatever chronologic age is still um, struggling with these issues and still developmentally um, that of a much younger child. Absolutely. And I I just want to say the chapter list here is incredible because it's all the things that you guys always ask about. And it is available. uh, This is from Hay House, which I mean, that in and of itself uh, is amazing. I've I've been very pleased with Hay House. And Hay House doesn't put out books that aren't incredible. Um, That's just a fact. My first book is The Verbal Behavior Approach. It's published by Jessica Kingsley Publishers, which is now Hatchet UK. But it's in 17 languages and it's going to be coming out in Spanish for the very first time. And then Turn Autism Around came out last year um, at the end of March of 2021. It just came. So it's in in hardback. It's audible with me reading it, which was really fun. Um, It's on Kindle and it just came out this this spring in paperback. So you got all those options it's already going to be translated into five or six languages so far. Um, Spanish is going to be one of the first languages. I, I One of the reasons I wanted a bigger publisher was after all these years, decades, you know, since my first book, I, I had no control over it getting out in Spanish. And that's been a huge need. So Hay House was committed to get that to happen soon. <laughs> Love that. I want to ask this question that somebody wrote in that you mentioned about the 18 year old, but, and I'm assuming that you're going to talk a little bit about your online courses in the answer, because I want you to talk about that too. Um, So they said, my question to Dr. Mary is my daughter is 18 years old. She is pre-verbal. She becomes aggressive when she cannot express her frustration. Do you think ABA can help? Can you recommend good remote ABA? I live in the UK. So yes, um, ABA is a science. It stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. It's the science of changing behavior. So whether or not you like ABA or believe in ABA, it is happening all around us. Like the fact that your guests are tuning in and asking questions means that they're finding some value in here. They can understand what we're saying. They're finding some value. Now we just reinforced 
that behavior of typing the question by answering it. So everything we do, all of education, every time you go to OT, every time you go to SLP sessions, it's actually behavioral therapy is is in the mix. (laughs) So it's operating around us all the time. So ABA is a science, but ABA is also a treatment package for kids with autism. And those vary in terms of of styles and um, the way things are done. So I have, you know, a very child-friendly ABA approach based on all my history of all my different roles. And, but if, if ABA is working, you're, you should be seeing progress. So um, the, the fact that she's 18 and pre-verbal, it's, it's, a common situation, you know, um, it it can happen. My son is verbal, but he's not conversational. So there's all this from completely not talking at all. Hopefully you have some kind of communication system going, either sign language or picture exchange or a talking device. Um, And a lot of times when when parents or professionals talk about kids, they say, oh, they're nonverbal. And I have met very few kids that are completely nonverbal. Like I've done a lot of independent evaluations in the past where, you know, a 17 year old and I, one of my last uh, independent evals years ago, and I went in and everybody was saying it was nonverbal yet. I heard at least five words in the first hour and they're, I'm like, well, he says mom or he says beads or he says, you know, a word approximation for these things. That means that they can talk and there are techniques like mentioned in my book and my courses that could help, you know, the child talk more. And it's not all about talking. It's about communicating your wants and needs. And so the other issue um, uh, we should talk about too is, is as kids get older and um, you know, there might be medications on board that might be helping or hurting. Um, they kids are on medication cocktails. I just, I did a podcast years ago, actually in 2019 with Lucas's psychiatrist, who's also an autism dad, Dr. Michael Murray. We just rebroadcasted that this past Tuesday. So if you go to marybarbera.com forward slash podcast, you'll see Dr. Murray's podcast pop right up, but it's all about medication and autism and the twists and turns that can come with that. So it's not just clear cut in terms of, oh, yeah, get ABA in the UK and everything will be fine. Because a lot of ABA um, isn't using my approach back very few people. So um, we do have two two online courses. We have several people from the UK right now in, in our courses and community. So we have the toddler course, which is for parents and early intervention professionals working with kids one to five with and without autism. About half of our audience, our participants do not have a diagnosis yet. And they are having major turnarounds and, and posting, you know, success stories that like every single day. And I'm like, wow. That's amazing. And then we have um, what we call the verbal behavior bundle, which is a set of two courses. And um, that is good for for kids over the age of six. If they're pre-verbal or minimally verbal and have problem behaviors um, and have maybe have issues with eating, sleeping, potty training, going to the doctors, you know, 
you can, you can join the course. You can attend a free workshop to see if, you know, what the course is about and learn a few things, see if you like my style of presenting. So marybarbera.com forward slash workshop. Um, but however, I will say that if you have a, you know, an 18 year old, that's not toilet trained, that's flopping on the ground, that's hurting people with aggression, that's, you know, you're going to need more than just a little online course. Um, and, and that is where you would need, you know, I would recommend a behavior analyst, but I'd also recommend getting a good medical doctor or a psychiatrist or a nutritionist and doing a whole, whole body kind of, if they have GI issues, that's causing aggression. Like those are all intertwined. Amazing. So um, let's, cause we breezed through the workshops, uh, but let's, let's start with telling people that they should go to marybarbera.com and there's a, everything that we're talking about. There will be a tab somewhere on there for them to go to. Um, but you I love that they can take a free workshop first to see what it's about and see, you know, this is how this is going to be presented and how this can help you. But then they can move into the actual workshops where they can help themselves to learn what they need to do to get further along. What I also love about it is that a lot of times here, I got to be honest, we, you know, we tell people in the United States to get in line to get ABA because their insurance is likely going to cover it. Um, but that for us here, it's a big, big deal about the difference. I always say, you know, but I call it quality ABA, <laughs> what you're talking about, which is person central that takes mm-hmm. the individual into account, is compassionate and has empathy and is using good te- teaching techniques that are individualized, right? But And are positive. And child family friendly and empowering to the parents who are with the child 24 seven. Yes. You no, know, this, Oh, well you have to wait at the door. You have to wait in the lobby while I take your screaming two-year-old back for a half an hour of speech therapy. Like that's not helping. I can tell you right now, that's not going to be helpful. If the child's crying during any kind of therapy doesn't mean that the person is bad. It doesn't mean that they're being abused. It just means that they are not, it, it's not the right uh, program or fit or that person needs to learn more. Um, all of my courses are great for novices, great for parents, but they're also um, good for behavior analysts. I, I, I give uh, BCBA credits for all of my courses. I mean, this isn't, this isn't just, nice little parent training. This is, this is, this is important and everything is kind of merged together. You can't work on tantrums without working on talking. You can't work on sleep without working on, on, you know, tantrums and what to do when they get out of bed and everything needs to be child-friendly positive. Amen to that. But what I was going to add to that is that I think for parents, if you're getting in line to get ABA and the way ABA is right now, you get in line, you're not going to, it's not going to start tomorrow. But I think the thing that parents ask us all the time is how do I, how can I, who've never seen ABA, know the difference between schlocky bad ABA and good ABA? And I think Mm -hmm. if you take Mary's classes, 
you're yep. going to have a better understanding of what you need to see from good ABA. You're going to be a better person on your team if and when you start ABA so that you're going to press, pressure your ABA provider to give you the good quality ABA and not this one size fits all. Let's roll them all out on a conveyor belt crap that seems to be pervasive right now. Um, Exactly. And and I would add two things. One is look for um, providers who are very familiar with the BBMAP assessment, which is by Dr. Mark Sundberg. And in my courses, we go over how to how to um, assess and use the BBMAP in my verbal behavior bundle. So like I'm in line with, you know, if you can have some a BCBA with BBMAP experience or without. I would definitely take the one with the BB map experience. Uh, yeah, under her belt. And then the second thing is I've done so many video blogs and podcasts. So I have a blog on how to pick a good school or home ABA provider. So you can just search Mary autism plus whatever topic you're struggling with, or like, you know, we said like 500 topics so far, but you could, you know, if you're like, oh, what is, what was that link for the workshop? Just a Mary autism workshop, uh, Mary autism school versus home ABA. I know I have like a 20 minute video, which checkpoints of things I would look at if I were going to a school or having somebody come to my home to interview. But you're right. We talk a lot about that. It's not just the courses. We also have a very active community um, with our paid courses. And we do, we have uh, examples of so many parents going like, oh, I, you, you know, I'm proud of myself because I said no to this, or I, I asked for another IP meeting, or I, you know, negotiated and advocated like you taught us and, and they're making gains wherever you are, because there are people all around the world, you know, yeah. listening to us and not everybody has an IEP and yeah. not everybody has even access to anything remotely close to ABA. So we have participants from, sorry, over, no, that's okay. We have participants from over 90 countries who have taken my online courses. So it's very, um, very global. And the issues, whether your child is 18 or 18 months, um, it's a lot of the same things um, and the same procedures. Just you, you just have to adapt it, you know, based on your child's age, ability level. We have kids that, you know, don't walk or kids with feeding tubes or kids that are deaf. I mean, you have to adapt because we all have our strengths and, and needs. And, and we just teach you basically how to fish instead of giving you fish. We just step I by step that. to get to the next best level. I love that. That's an analogy that I use all the time. So the book is called Turn Autism Around, but so is the podcast. Talk to us about the podcast and how we can be watching it and when new episodes come out and where we can find the old episodes. Yeah, so I started um, the Turn Autism Around podcast in January of 2019. So it's three and a half years now. Every single Tuesday morning it comes out. If you're on my list, if you, you know, get my emails, which you can get, you know, by downloading anything, um, you'll get notified of what the subject is. Um, it's a mixture of solo shows, um, guests. I'm having Shannon on the show soon. Um, we're going to record that soon. And, um, and then we also started 
uh, a top five questions about a particular topic. We started Hot Seat Podcasts, and these are audio. You can listen anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple um, Podcasts, uh, anywhere you listen, iHeartRadio, Pandora. Um, and then we also publish it as a video podcast on my website, on YouTube, Um so there's lots of ways to to look at it. We have show notes for every every session and we are approaching just in the audio version of the podcast we are approaching 1 million downloads. Amazing. So we are I am on a mission and right now I am just pretty much an online marketer. Um and I'm just trying to get the word out. I have a lot of free resources but really I call it like you don't really especially if you have a young child and you are highly motivated as you should be to make the most gains you can as young as they are. Um, If you're highly motivated and have the time and the money to invest, it it really doesn't do you any good to stay in what I call the sea of free. Um, You know, because the online courses are, course and a community step-by-step we hold your hand and we get you through the course and help you adapt it. If you do have a situation that it, the techniques aren't working for some reason. I mean, we, we really want to get everybody up the mountain. So, um, you know, I have people on, on Facebook, my Facebook page saying, Oh, I listened to that podcast three times to try to figure out what to do. It's like, wow, you really need to come into the course. Like, (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, there's different costs for different things. And, and I do think, um, you know, it's like when you buy a book, you know, you buy the book because you want to delve into it a little bit more. I mean, I'm sitting here and telling you that the book is great and, and you know that it's an action guide and you know that she's talking about all the things that you guys already ask about. I mean, the chapter list is crazy good. Um can I just say uh, one of the things that I had in my notes was uh, I want to be you when I grow up. Uh, I mean, I really do. And, um, because you just go, Oh my gosh, Mary, this is so good about first about early signs of autism are an emergency. So why are you waiting? Cause we've all been there. All of us have been there. Uh, is it autism, ADHD, or just a speech delay? Come on. Best chapter title ever. Keep your child safe at home, at school and in the community. I love that you address the safety thing first, an easy assessment to figure out your starting point. Oh, Mary. Uh, I'm telling you. Uh, and this can be a starting point for a two-year-old or a 10-year-old or the 18-year-old. Absolutely. You know, it does, we all, if we're, at, that's the way I've learned everything is like, I take an online course, like how to do a podcast or how to do a webinar, yeah. how to create a video studio at my home. I had no idea. So you, you learn, you do it, you make modifications. It's like, we just we don't have time. I mean, I've been in the autism world as you have Shannon for over two decades. We don't have another two decades of, of people trying to figure it out. Yeah. I haven't quite been there two decades. My son just okay. turned 19. So I'm, okay. I'm just shy, okay. um, but I'm getting there. I'm, I'm okay. well, well over 15 years, but, but anyway, I just want to say that then you get into the very specific topics that you guys talk about all the time, stop tantrums and start the learning develop play and social skills, teach talking and following directions, talking about not 
talking but not con uh, conversational strategies to expand language, solving picky eating. You guys write in about that all the time. Uh, stop playing musical beds, solving sleep issues, disposing of the diapers, which is all about the toilet training, desensitize doctor, dentist, and haircut visits, and then becoming your child's best teacher and advocate for life. So amazing, uh, available from Hay House. Go to uh, marybarbera.com to be able to find all the resources that we're talking about um, and, and take one of the free workshops. Do yourself a favor this week. Mm -hmm. Take one of the free workshops so that you can see what it is she's talking about because I think your head's gonna go, this is what we needed. Now, Jacob, we're almost out of time here, but Jacob says, I have wanted to advocate for people with autism for a while now where would be a good place to start? What do you want to say to him, Mary? Well, if you know somebody with autism, I think the best place to start is ad helping one person at a time instead of just stepping back and say, I want to help a bunch of people. So whenever you, you know, you have more expertise than somebody else, you know, you don't, you only have to be a couple steps ahead. But if you have some kind of expertise in, in the area of advocacy, Find somebody you know that wants advocacy help. You know, sometimes you have to start even for free or for very low cost and just say, hey, I'm going to, you know, I had little kids, parents bring their little kids over to my basement early on for, they gave me video permission and I gave them some off the record help, you know, and, <laughs> and kind of led them to. Oh, and I don't know whether you've lost me or her. We're right at the end of the show. She's frozen. Uh, she's frozen. Oh, bummer. Uh, let's get her back. Oh, there, she's back. We lost you for just a second. The, the internet yeah, gods know. went no for just a second. Now we're back. So uh, just help one person first and then. Uh, why? We're at an hour and she's frozen help again. Help more and more people. Oh, we're, we're having trouble with you freezing. But Mary, I adore you. I can't wait to be on your podcast. What a wealth of knowledge you are. You're an inspiration to all of us. Good heavens. Uh, you're remarkable. I'm so glad that you're in the world and doing what oh, you're doing because it's you. so, so needed. Make sure you get her book, you guys. But do more than that. Go and take one of those free workshops today so that you'll see what she's offering because I think a lot of you are going to want to take the workshops where you're going to pay a little bit, but you're going to get a lot from it just like you will from the book. So please do that. Can I just say, programming note, we are back um, tomorrow live. And then on Friday, we have yet another episode, a new episode of Stories from the Spectrum that's all content by and four people in the neurodiverse community. So I hope that you will turn in because I, it's my favorite thing on the planet right now is to watch their, them tell their stories. Um, I didn't really get to say goodbye to Dr. Barbera, but um, thank you so much, uh, Mary, for, for all that you do. And uh, we, we just think that you're remarkable. I, I'm sending love to all of you. Thank you for tuning in. And those of you who are watching us later recorded on podcast, we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.